very sorry. I pressed the button too long. I knew I pressed the button. Hi. All right. Okay, like David said, I'm so sorry. Like, well, this is just me, y'all. It's just, let's take it or leave it. Um, we are going to be reviewing the first three chapters of Ephesians today. And some of you might be thinking, for crying out loud, we spent seven weeks on the prayer, six months on three chapters. Why we got to be going over this again? Well, I'm going to share an analogy with you that might help. So most of you know that I am not a cook. Um, I kind of hate it. I do it sometimes, but only when I absolutely have to. And so we have been known on occasion, you know, don't judge, but we get those prepackaged meals a lot. So, um, you know, normally when I get them, right, you get them out of the freezer, you get the contents out, you throw the directions away, and then I proceed to go back to the garbage three or four times to reread the three simple steps my brain can't quite seem to remember, right? Please tell me somebody else is in a, a couple of you. All right. So we forget, right? That's an ultimately inconsequential example of a deeply consequential reality, that we are forgetful people. Not only are our brains going a hundred miles an hour, we're completely overwhelmed with sensory input, right, from the moment we wake up until the moment our heads hit the pillow again. Between spending relatively little time, energy, and effort getting God's Word imprinted on our hearts and minds in the first place, and the fact that we so easily forget what we do put in, we have to be reminded over and over of what is true. We have to keep coming back and refreshing our memories of all that God has done for us in Christ. That's why we need to abide in His Word day by day. The goal is to be exposed to it so many times that it becomes part of us to the point that through the work of the Spirit, our hearts, our thinking, our behaving, our praying, our speaking, everything about us is completely transformed. And so to that end, we remind ourselves of it over and over again. The Apostle Peter understood this. In his second letter, this is what he wrote. He said, I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. So you see, though there are 2,000 years of, uh, and, and, and massive cultural differences that separate us from those early Christians, we're not as unlike them as we might think. It is so good and necessary to be reminded and reminded and then reminded again. We also recognize what David shared just a few short weeks ago, that the average person these days attends church 1.2 times a month. I'm not sure how you do it, 0.2, but that's what the statistic says. And so that means that for many of us, maybe, there might be a whole lot that you're missing, unless you're going back online to listen to the sermons. Um, and so there's, you know, that's why we, it's important. Let's be reminded. So today we're taking a step back from the up-close details so that we don't miss the forest for the trees. I trust that we'll all be encouraged as we reflect on the foundational doctrines that Paul goes on about so powerfully and passionately. And these are them. On the left, in blue, is all that we have covered so far in Ephesians 1 through 3, and it's massive. 
Hopefully by now it's been made clear that the first three chapters of Ephesians are focused on our belief. What we're going to see as we begin to unpack chapters 4 through 6 in January is that all those blue theological fundamentals on the left are going to govern our behavior, which is an orange on the right. What we believe necessarily drives our behavior or how we live our lives. That's why it's absolutely critical that we know and understand sound biblical doctrine. And that's the primary reason that one of our non-negotiables here is that we will preach verse by verse through Scripture, seeking to know and understand the truth of God in its entirety and to align our hearts and lives through it by the power of the Holy Spirit. To it. Do I say to it? We're aligning our hearts to it? Oh, goodness gracious. No doubt... One of the themes that we have seen woven all throughout Paul's letter to the Ephesians is represented by this slide. We must remember that Paul was writing to believers, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Paul is relentless in his mission to make sure that we know the profound implications of what it means to be in Christ, because that is precisely where a Christian's identity is found. Indeed, it's only in Christ that we can answer these three existential questions, right? Where do I come from? Where will I go when I die? And why am I here? Friends, do you realize what this means for us? Time and energy trying to figure out who am I and what am I supposed to do with my life? If you are in Christ, you don't have to wonder. Paul actually drops one of his biggest theological bombshells when he tells us right right off the bat that God chose us in him before the very foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. If you are in Christ, then in love you have been adopted as his son or daughter. You are redeemed. You have the forgiveness of all your sin purchased by the blood of Jesus shed on the cross. Through him, we know the mystery of God's will. Did you know that? And it's to bring all things together under one head, Christ himself. That's it. That is God's grand plan. And if you are in Christ, you have been chosen to be a part of it. In Christ, you are richer than you could ever dare dream. You are sealed by the promised Holy Spirit, guaranteeing your salvation. Where will you go when you die? In Christ, you are absolutely assured of eternal life in the presence of God. Why are you here? In Christ, you have been created for the praise of God's glory. Everything you think, say, do, feel, hope, dream, pray, it is all to be for the glory of God. There is no greater purpose in the universe. The fact of the matter is, is that if you are in Christ, your life is one that has been lavished with grace upon grace. This was one of my favorite slide sequences in our series, and I wanted to hit on it here because this doctrine of grace is so foundational in Ephesians and really pretty much everything Paul writes. It's a helpful, helpful way for us to visualize the incomparable riches of grace that God lavishes on us. So the blue square represents Grace, unmerited favor, a free gift, nothing demanded and nothing received. 
When we humbly accept God's grace, we realize how much more there is, incomparable riches worth, represented by that white bar. And as we continue to experience more of it in blue, we realize that there is even more than we initially thought. With each new gift of grace received, we realize how much more God has to lavish on us to the point where we stand in that blue line at the bottom. We look back and we see that there's no beginning to it. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And we look forward and we see that there's no end to his grace either. The riches of God's unmerited favor toward us in Christ are unfathomable and eternal. And Paul knew this grace firsthand and he could not stop gushing about it. What I find so interesting about grace is that we love it, but we don't. What do I mean by that? Well, again, we learned in our series that grace is unmerited favor, which means that there is nothing we do to deserve it. But that's the part that we don't like. Not really. Because we value hard work here in America, don't we? Right? Anything that's worth getting, you've got to earn. And we like that because it's fair. It gives us this feeling of being worthy. It makes us feel good about ourselves. I mean, come on, we've got to bring at least a little something to this redemption equation, don't we? I mean, maybe Jesus carries the lion's share. We're not all that shabby. No, no, no. It is incredible how quickly and how easily we can believe that God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ because we're kind of a big deal. But in chapter 2, Paul nips that nonsense in the bud real quick. The truth of God's word says that we were dead. As an old third day song says, stone cold dead when we stepped out of the womb. Dead in our sins and transgressions, gratifying our sinful natures in every way imaginable. We didn't seek after God. We weren't even interested in Him. We couldn't be. We were dead. We were, every single one of us, objects of God's wrath. Wrath. Not just a slap on the wrist. Not just a from heaven. Every last one of us in this room deserves nothing but the just and terrifying wrath of God. That's how much he hates our sin. He cannot and does not tolerate it. But, and this is the gloriousness of grace, while we were yet sinners, mired in our sin, drowning in it, hating God, and in full rebellion against him. Because of his great love for us, God, who was rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. We cannot deceive ourselves into thinking that we have any merit 
before God. Anything by which we can commend ourselves to him. We bring nothing to the table except our sin and our desperate need of what only he can give and do for us. Friends, until we really get this deep in our marrow, not only will humility be far from us, I'm not sure we'll ever truly erupt in the kind of praise and prayer that's fitting for the one who has rescued us from such hopelessness and darkness. Everything we have, everything we will ever have in Christ, it is a gift of God's grace alone. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So this is one of the key doctrines of our Reformed theology. You've likely heard it said before that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So what is meant by that is that grace is the source of our salvation and faith is the mechanism. The only way we could ever have been brought from death in our sin to be, being made alive in Christ is by that red drop of blood. It is through Christ's finished work on the cross that salvation is made available to us. And through faith, then, we trust that his blood is enough to secure our eternal redemption. So right now I'm reading a very interesting and challenging book. Its main premise is that we read the Bible through our own cultural lenses. So most of us get that. You know, we, can't, we understand that to a degree. But the author's point is that we don't get it deeply enough. Our cultural biases are so ingrained in us that we don't even realize how much they affect how we read and interpret the Bible. They write that, quote, our, our cultural assumptions about the supremacy of me is the one to which we are perhaps blindest. We rightly search for the center of God's will, but with the unspoken assumption that once we find it, the seat will have my individual name on it. The idea that we are only part of God's redemptive plan is hard to swallow for Christians raised to believe that if I had been the only sinner ever born, Jesus would still have gone to the cross for me. End quote. So why am I mentioning this here? Well, you see, I think that many of us get to this slide. We get to the whole salvation part, and we think we've arrived. I mean, why do we really even need to keep reading Paul's letter, right? This is what God has been about from the beginning, saving me, rescuing me, making my life better. Well, to be sure, Jesus himself said that there is rejoicing in heaven when even one sinner turns and repents. But the story of redemption being told from Genesis to Revelation, it isn't about you, and it's not about me. It's about what God is making us together in and through Christ. It has only ever been, and it will only ever be about Jesus' glory. Yes, those who are in Christ have been saved individually, but we have been saved in order that we might be part of the greatest of all plans, the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. And that's what Paul goes on and on about. 
from here. Y'all, we are saved personally in order that corporately, through the entire church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So hopefully by now, you won't ever be able to see a kaleidoscope again without thinking about the church, God's manifold wisdom on display. That's made out of a picture of us. And here at Four Mile Church, we are simply a microcosm of the universal church, past, present, and future. I mean, just think about it. That God could take all who have been appointed to eternal life, an incredibly diverse and messed up mix of men and women, slaves and free, Jews, Gentiles, rich, poor, every language, every nation, every color, every tribe. He takes CNN and Fox News watchers, liberals and conservatives, Browns and Steeler fans, and he destroys our hostility. He tears down all the dividing walls between us, and he blends us together into an indivisible oneness, a beautiful kaleidoscope, all one with the Father, one with the Son, one with the Spirit, one with every other believer in Christ, that God could do that kind of miracle of salvation is a wonder beyond wonders of manifold wisdom and glorious grace. And there it is. <laughs> it's mind-blowing. God's wisdom in his extraordinary plan of salvation, as seen in the new and mysterious creation of the church, is a multifaceted, many-colored, culturally diverse, rich, and beautiful community of Isn't that incredible? It's indescribable. And it's just going to keep getting more and more so because God has promised to build his church by drawing more and more people to himself and then by growing and sanctifying each and every one of us in Christ to be more like Christ. And God is faithful. He will do it.